Business's Big Podcast. Hey, it's David, Build a Big Podcast. Bigpodcast.com is the website. I'm going to talk about this Ben Shapiro situation that it's moved beyond just podcast movement. It seems that it has crept into the rest of the podcasting community and all over Twitter, <laughs> all over major news. I wasn't at podcast movement this year. So it was interesting to see it from the outside and then talk to people who were actually there experiencing it from the inside. It sounds like it was two different things. I can only share my experience. And by the way, this is all related to the purpose of this show, which is building a big podcast. What happened here is important for all of us to think about moving forward, regardless of which side of the fence you fall on when it comes to Ben Shapiro. To me, it's really about our responsibility as podcasters, as people in the media. And before I get into it, just a few statements. The first being that I believe the majority of people are good, but the people are also complicated. Second thing, I'm pro-women, I'm pro-LGBT, I'm pro-abortion. If you have a different feeling on these issues than I do, I generally don't have a problem with that unless you try to take away autonomy from someone else. That's where I draw the line. Three, unless you've run a conference, which I have, by the way, I used to own the second largest music conference in the country, second only behind South by Southwest. And unless you've run a conference, you have no idea what that involves and the number of moving pieces there are. Podcast movement has a lot of people that they need to keep happy. The sponsors, the attendees, an event like that, it's so big, there are things that are happening during the event that don't become clear until after the event. I've heard a lot of people talking about Woodstock 99. There's a new documentary out on Netflix that you might have seen. I was actually part of that. I was in a band that was supposed to play Woodstock 99. So I was involved in the planning process from that aspect. And having done several big productions myself, I can tell you that nobody really knew what was going on. And here we are, 20-something years later, we're just now finding those things out. And that's certainly the case with podcast movement. They had an event last week. A lot of things happened. They may not have known what was going on. I'm going to give you a little bit more background to set the foundation. This is specifically about my experience with right-wing and other conservative media. I mentioned being in the music industry. In 1996, I was living in a little town in Mississippi, just south of Memphis. I was working full-time in the music business doing regional street and radio promo. I was also doing a lot of stuff online. That's how most people found me. I was one of the first independent promoters, first music business guys that was on the internet. Just happened to be at the right place at the right time. But even though a lot of things were going to the internet, at that time, everything was done via mail, postal mail. I was still getting a ton of press kits from bands who wanted to work with me. One day, I got a package from a company and it was slick. It was better than most. A lot of the bands that I worked with, they were independent. And I was getting things that were like copies of copies of copies and cassette tapes. We didn't have access to the tools that we have now. And even CDs, that was a big deal for somebody to go in and press a CD. It was not economically viable for most acts. So I get this slick package and I noticed it because of that. And it was standard press kit stuff, a CD, bio, one sheet, which is basically all the information on one single sheet. Also a catalog sheet that was common for independent labels. This was a label. They sent me one of their releases and they had multiple releases on this catalog sheet that you could buy. They were doing a lot of mail order business. There was also a full color magazine. 
It was also slick. It looked like something that you would see on the newsstand. Long story short, it was from a popular white power label. I'm not going to mention the name of the label or the band. It was one of the biggest bands that they had on the label. I'm sure you can find them online if you want to, because at the time, these guys were getting a ton of press, a lot of outrage about these guys, but also a lot of sympathizers. And those sympathizers were the guys who were doing the zines, a lot of the websites that were popping up at the time. There was definitely good press in addition to the people who were outraged by these guys. I don't know why they came to me. Maybe it was that they found me on the internet and I had a very similar promotion style to the one that they did. We were underground, very aggressive, independent. It could have been because I had a Mississippi address. All these other record promoters, New York, Nashville, Los Angeles. I'm in Mississippi. Maybe they think I'm sympathizing, which I was not. I said this at the top of the episode, but I don't want this to be taken out of context when I say that I had a similar promotion style. That was simply in the aggressiveness that we had street and radio promotion. We were doing whatever it took to get an album played. But just to be clear, because like these guys seeing that I'm from Mississippi and thinking that I'm a like-minded person, sometimes as a middle-aged white guy, when I do an episode like this, I've got other middle-aged white guys that come to me. They say, oh man, you really just nailed that thing. It's like, well, did I? I don't know. I don't know that we feel the same way. Because me, I'm pro-women, pro-trans, pro-gay, pro-black, pro-other colors. It may not come off that way always because I am a middle-aged white guy. Sometimes I'm not woke. Sometimes I mess up pronouns or use words that when I was growing up were pretty common and weren't offensive. And now some people consider them offensive. And that's something for me to look at. Anyway, just to be clear on that, that's what I'm for. Pro-women, pro-trans, pro-gay, pro-black, pro-other colors. That's actually an interesting part of this story because when I was in Mississippi, and this is just south of Memphis, I was down there because I was following a woman around. (laughs) I was in Memphis and moved south to be a little bit closer to her. And once I crossed that border from Tennessee to Mississippi, something that I noticed is that I had a lot of people, and I'm talking to my fellow white people, they made assumptions that because I looked like them, I thought the same way that they did. And I was very sensitive about that. These guys were so comfortable in their world their small town world. I don't know how many of them ever left. They assumed that because I happened to be there too, I felt the same way. And that's still happening. As I just mentioned, I get stuff from the white guys, the white guys, and they think, oh, David, man, you really nailed it. And they kind of misinterpret the message. So I want to be very clear about that before we move forward anymore. It's something I'm still sensitive to. It's something that I was sensitive to back then. And because of that, when I got this press kit, I thought about writing this label back and tell them to f*** off. You know, I'm working with these big acts, man. I've got a lot of stuff going on, and I'm not going to damage that to put this out there. I mentioned it to one of the radio jocks that I was working with. I was in a station. His advice was this. He said, don't give them air, not even response. They'll play victim, and that will help them spread their message even further. I started to think about it. These guys were getting a ton of momentum by playing the victim role. And if you listen to their lyrics or looked at their marketing, which I did, because honestly, it was interesting from a marketing standpoint. I said, what? How is it that this stuff just took off like it had? Because it was everywhere. These guys were selling tens of thousands of copies of their albums, which was a lot for an independent record label. Not quite making a million dollars a year, but doing pretty close. And when you listened to the lyrics, read the lyrics, looked at the marketing, that was pretty much it. 
They would talk about black people or whatever groups they were against taking over, white people are being erased. We're the victims. Nobody's standing up for us. We've got to stand up for ourselves. That was the marketing behind these guys. And that's how they were building up this momentum. I talk about this all the time. It is easy to sell a remedy for pain. If you have a headline or a podcast episode title or even a podcast that plays victim and talks about pain, you are going to get more people listening to you, clicking on your article, buying your stuff than you will if you have a podcast title or name of an episode or name of your product that is talking about betterment. People want a cure for pain. They don't want to get better. They want to be out of pain. I'm going to get to Ben Shapiro specifically here in a minute, but I want to talk about the system that he is working with because this has been around for a long, long time. It's not just 25 years ago with white power music. It's not just what's happening now with Fox News or Newsmax or OAN. This has been around forever. I've been around it all my life. I grew up in Nashville. Every church has a publishing company here. And I'm not saying that this is white power stuff. I'm talking about conservative media. I grew up Methodist. That church was built on what they call circuit riders. People on horses, handing out books, handing out newspapers. One of the suburbs of Nashville. We've got a big network, Trinity Broadcasting. Used to be called the PTL Club. Again, they're right outside Nashville. Pat Robertson used to have Christian Broadcasting's backup studio here. And it was massive. Is located in a former Sam's Club. You know how big those places are. And this was his backup studio. He's right on the beach. They're worried about hurricanes coming in. To get insurance, he had to have a backup studio ready. So if something happened to the main studio, boop, flip that switch, he's still on the air. And maybe that wasn't just insurance. Maybe he's asking for money all the time. Maybe man's got to make income. My grandfather was in the ammunition business. And one of my first jobs... I was probably about 12. I would go to gun shows with him and I was basically a bellhop for other gun show exhibitors, many of whom weren't selling guns. They were selling books. Look up Paladin Press. Those guys are legendary in right-wing media. And a lot of those guys were there. They're selling some pretty out there stuff, conspiracy theories, anti-government stuff, how to fake your own death, get a false identity, Nazi stuff. See my share of that. Nazi stuff, Klan stuff. All of that was there, right in the open. But nobody thought anything of it back then, maybe because I was in the South. <laughs> maybe there were a lot of sympathizers. I think there were. But I think for somebody like me, and this is the reason that I bring this up, 50-year-old white guy, grew up in the South. We are used to seeing this and we've normalized it. Back then, it was very underground. It goes back to that sheet that's a catalog that people would mail out and you would order from the catalog. You would send a check. You'll get your stuff in a few weeks. Now it's on the internet. Now it's spreading. Now we know that it exists, but it has always existed. The material's not new. The playbook isn't new. The marketing isn't new. One of the things I noticed from talking to these guys, because I'd see them all the time, they had these gun shows every couple months. Multiple people would promote gun shows. My grandfather was at every one of them. So I was at every one of them because of that, doing my bellhop job, carrying ammunition, automatic weapons, books. <laughs> out of the truck to these booths. And I would hear these guys talk and there was a lot of victimhood. Every single person that I can think of was a victim of something. The government, the tax man would come by after these things are over. They collect their money. 
believe me, there was some double booking going on. There were some cash deals. There were all sorts of things that would keep these guys from doing whatever it is that they felt other people were forcing them to do because they were victims. They were used to setting the rules for themselves. They didn't like other people to come in and say, these are not the rules. And there's all sorts of stuff around this gun show culture that focused on that. Every time somebody was raising money, you'd have people coming around raising money for whatever guerrilla army or whatever cause or whatever political candidate. It focused on them being taken advantage of. Frankly, I think it was a money-making thing because again, outrage sells. It gets people to take action. So they get them to donate money, buy stuff, whatever the agenda is. That's one of the things that works. Now, what Paladin didn't have, because this was back in the 70s and 80s, that's really when they were having their heyday. I mean, it was okay, but it wasn't what I would call really slick. It looked like the worst self-published book that you can think of. Maybe somebody went to Kinko's, we call it FedEx office now, speaking of things that are changing. (laughs) They printed it up. It's a copy of a copy of a copy. People were paying for the information, but it was never going to go mainstream because it wasn't very slick. It worked for them because you felt like you were getting something from the underground, but it wasn't going to reach outside of that gun show, Southern redneck culture. The white power label that I mentioned, they had slick marketing. And that's the stuff that we're moving into now. Once computers came along, once digital publishing came along, once the internet came along, once it got so easy to do something like I'm doing right now, record this podcast, distribute this podcast, make videos, distribute those videos. The stuff that we can do now looks as good as anything that we get anywhere. David Duke knew this. David Duke is a perfect example of slick marketing. Most people are not your classic redneck racists like I saw at the gun show. They don't want to be associated with the fat guys in the overalls wearing camo, but they do have some of the same thoughts. And David Duke, he knew this. He found out rather quickly he could reach those people by taking off the Nazi uniform, taking off the Klan robe, and running a campaign that used different words, not your standard redneck language, but words like welfare queen. If you want to see how this worked out with David Duke, Go down and look what he's done in Mississippi. Look what he's done in Louisiana. He's arguably an extremist candidate, but he did well enough because of this slick imagery, because of the nice guy, all shucks, white people are victims, to do very well as far as his political career. What you see from something like David Duke, that's another thing the right wing does very well, which is revisionism. They play up a world from the past that didn't really exist. And part of that is what I call classic good manners. Have you ever met a biker? I had some biker friends when I was in Ohio and these dudes loved going out into the world. They were very nice when they did it. It It's like a fetish or something. They looked like hell. They smelled like hell, but it was always, yes, ma'am. No, sir. They were holding doors open, giving money to the guy at the Salvation Army when he'd ring the bell. It was weird. And this is why when you go by Hell's Angels headquarters in New York or the original Hell's Angels headquarters in Oakland, nice lawn, great maintenance, perfect neighbor. I'll give you a personal example of what this looks like. I was hanging at a bar with a couple of them once. And I've got a big mouth. I'm loud. That's why I'm into podcasting and radio. I've got a couple of non-biker friends with me. We were joking. I told a joke. And then I said something like, what the f***? <laughs> I'm telling you, the whole place stopped. Seriously, it was like a movie scene. Everybody's having a good time. There's music in the background. You hear a record scratch. And everybody looks at you. 
that was me. And my buddy, biker guy, he's like, there's no cussing in here. (laughs) So I apologize. Oh, sorry, guys. My bad. Life went on. They're really cool about it. But it gets back to that thing of flipping the script on people. There's a hierarchy of things that they focus on. And at the top of that hierarchy is the stuff that you are doing. That's the background. That's my experience with right-wing and conservative media and right-wing and conservative people. Growing up in the South, you've got to deal with all types. And again, part of the reason why I'm saying this is because I think when you look at what podcast movement did and what their reaction was, you have to understand that there are a lot of people in the world, many of them right-wing, many of them conservative. And if you've been around for a while, and I have, 50 years, (laughs) but even longer than that, you will have dealt with some of these people in your life and you may have normalized it. Yeah, that's just the way these guys are. You know, I walked out of that biker bar. I was like, okay, cool. That is out of alignment for who I think these guys really are. They're not going to let me use certain language in there, but their place, their rules. Okay, cool. I can work with that. I know next time. Alignment is what this is all about. That's what the issue is. And podcast movement in their marketing material, they call themselves a conference that is the ultimate annual destination of diverse speakers. Since day one, organizers have marketed this event as pro-women and pro-LGBT. And the reason I say that is looking at the content that they have, looking at the panelists that they have, looking at the exhibitors that they have. There's a Spanish language track. They've got panels like elevating Latinx stories and voices, breaking new ground with Latinx audiences, uniquely tapping into Latino audiences. There's an advocacy track with panels like the impact of creating mission-driven content focused on mental health, amplifying black voices outside of the pop culture space, Asian American storytelling. There's something called collective action and collective voices. Here's the description of that. Podcasting experts of marginalized genders are driving this culture shift. They are essential to innovating podcasting in critical ways and fundamental in bringing awareness to the talent and expertise of those historically excluded. Podcast movement has marketed to these different audiences in order to grow to the biggest podcasting conference in the country. I can see why people in these communities and also people outside of these communities who have any awareness would be frustrated to see a booth from a media company like the Daily Wire. Think about what I said earlier about David Duke. People were fooled by David Duke. Why? Where's a suit? He got plastic surgery, so he's got a face that people find attractive. He talks very eloquently. Ben Shapiro is similar. He wears a suit. Yes, he's nice. But if you're aware of what he talks about, especially if you're negatively affected by what he talks about, you're likely to find it very confusing that a supposedly pro-women, pro-LGBT event would have him as a guest. You don't know what he talks about. He's argued homosexuality should remain in the DSM as a mental illness. He said being transgender is a mental illness. The American Psychological Association says differently. They do not define being transgender as a mental illness. Ben Shapiro's referred to women who have abortions as baby killers. Maybe you're thinking, well, he just said those things. A lot of people feel the same way. And you're right. A lot of people do feel the same way. But this guy has built a platform in these very arguments, and he's got tremendous political power. I think more importantly for this example is that podcast movement took money from him. 
They also took money from the people he is directly attacking with his message. That's not alignment. It doesn't matter that Ben Shapiro wears a suit, or he's nice manners, or he's got a popular podcasting network. Also not in alignment, the way podcast movement handled this. As I mentioned, I've run big events before. I get the complexities of this. I get there are a lot of moving parts. I get that when you're in the middle of something, you don't know what is going on. Sometimes it takes a few days. Sometimes it takes a few weeks. Sometimes it takes years before you actually know. But what I do know about this, when you turn down a speaker, I'm talking about Ben Shapiro here, five different times, you've probably got a good reason. Especially if that speaker has a very successful podcasting network. His lack of success was not the reason that they turned him down. So I think it's safe to say that podcast movement knew about Ben Shapiro, but when he showed up with a bag of money, they looked the other way. Somebody at podcast movement tried to acknowledge this. This is during the event. There was a tweet that went out. They made an announcement acknowledging their mistake and bringing him in, or at least apologizing. However, at the very same time, one of the two co-founders involved with the company, he was also on Twitter saying the opposite. Hey, if you feel differently about this, let me know. And people did feel differently about it. They liked Ben Shapiro there. They saw hypocrisy in podcast movement calling him out during that time while he was still there. And this other founder, he says, you are right. Will Williams wrote a great piece on this. I'm going to have the links in the episode notes. Will's got the screenshots. Here's a quote. First, Jared Easley quote retweeted podcast movement's apology thread with the text. If you do not agree with this apology, please let our team know so that all sides are considered. He then replied to several far-right critics of the apology with a simple message, you are right. That's not in alignment either. You can't play both sides like that unless you want pushback. And pushback is exactly what podcast movement got from both right and left-leaning people. So nobody's happy. Who would have thought Ben Shapiro could bring everybody together in this country? <laughs> everybody's mad at podcast movement. Here's what I think happened. I don't think podcast movement is bad. I think this is an issue of very fast growth and a lot of things happening at once without them being ready for it. Also, that networks like Ben Shapiro's are very, very clever. The reason I started this episode talking about my own experience with conservative media and far-right media is because these guys have been around for a very long time. They know exactly what they're doing. They have an established system of marketing outrage, as well as a very strong belief system that comes with an audience that is ready to jump in and fight to defend those beliefs. These people are very, very scared. And when you agitate them enough, they will push back. There's a saying, to my knowledge, Mark Twain said this. He said, never pick a fight with somebody who buys ink by the barrel. <laughs> we've, we've changed our media since then. But the quote still applies here. And this is what happens when you do. Not only is podcast movement getting heat from Ben Shapiro's company, which I think is more about puffing up their own audience than anything actually against podcast movement. They got a great deal. Somebody told me they spent $10,000 to have a booth there. Could have been $20,000, $30,000. Probably got a million dollars worth of publicity. They probably got a bajillion dollars of people that were just outraged enough to subscribe to Ben Shapiro's stuff, to buy his stuff, to sign up. That's the irony of this. My understanding is that this situation 
it started off of a single tweet from somebody who was upset that Ben Shapiro was there. Podcast movement made the apology. Boom. The whole thing exploded. So something that you were concerned about, and arguably so, and we're trying to deal with, exploded because you had that conversation in public. Think about Ben Shapiro's audience. They're watching. They're watching everything that he does. Something that you may not understand about right-wing media. And again, I've got a big experience with these guys. Working both in radio and being in Nashville, the buckle of the Bible Belt, where we've got these publishing companies. It is insane what some of these radio jocks, right-wing guys, are able to do. Glenn Beck is one of them. He was supposed to speak at Podcast Movement. Podcast Movement got so much pushback, he didn't speak. Glenn Beck, when he does a book, people don't just buy one copy. They buy multiple copies. Why? Because they are in it. They are entrenched. They want to support the cause. They want to spread the cause. They're giving them out as gifts. They're having a discussion. That's what an enthusiastic audience does. And Ben Shapiro had that. That's the big lesson for podcasters here. When you've got the right message for the right audience, your audience will do your work for you. It's usually marketing, the stuff that happens with Glenn Beck's books, for example. They can also do your dirty work for you, the work that you don't want to do, because it would hurt your image. You don't see Ben Shapiro showing up in a suit, getting into a fight with somebody, calling people names, dragging himself down like that. You see his fans doing that. And sometimes that's anonymously, sometimes it's not anonymously. Ben Shapiro wasn't walking around podcast movements, sticking a camera in people's faces, harassing them. That was a Ben Shapiro wannabe who's looking to fill the vacuum should something happen to Ben Shapiro. Those guys are a dime a dozen. All these right-wing podcasters, guys on YouTube trying to be the next Ben Shapiro, they want a piece of that. They want that power. They want that money. Then when you say, oh, he's such a nice guy. Oh, he's so smart. He's orthodox, you know. He is a very religious man. And the end result of that, people like Ben Shapiro in his suit, using nice grammar, nice manners, looking innocent while his fans harassed the bejesus out of people who pushed back because he was at Podcast Movement. I think he had this planned. Ben Shapiro has been in media for a long time. I think he had this planned. He knew there was going to be pushback. That backstory I talked about, Ben Shapiro was rejected as a speaker five times. The only reason he was there is because he showed up with a check. He didn't have a pass. He didn't announce it. He knew when they physically showed up, they weren't going to be watching for him, although they should have been, arguably. And they admitted this. He knew he could show up. He's got a big enough network where there are a bunch of people there who will know him and want to take photos. He's there 15 minutes. The video makes it look like he was there all day because that's exactly what he did. He had it on camera. He had all the people going up to him. Oh, God bless you. You're doing God's work. May the Lord bless you and keep you. You know, ugh, what a mess. What a mess. He had it on video and then it gets amplified by his people even more. By the way, Nashville, where I am, that's where Ben Shapiro's company is located. And people were pissed when he came here. Candace Owens is here now. She's on his network. Tommy Lahren is here now. She was actually the first one. I'm not sure why, but she was that first domino that set all the other dominoes in motion. She's actually in my neighborhood. Very nice. Very nice. I walk my dog by her place almost daily. I've seen her out. She's got a dog also. Our dogs have sniffed each other. When I see her, very nice. She's not threatening. But don't think for a second that she's not going to turn on you using anything you do to get her more ratings. 
because that's the business that she's in, just like Shapiro. When you decide to work with these guys, you are taking a big, big risk. I'll give you a Tommy Laren story. I've got a friend of mine. She's got a book about overseas travel. She was doing some press for it, somehow got an invite to be on Tommy's show. The book had nothing to do with what Tommy talks about. It's just a young woman's journey of living in a foreign country. That's it. It's like eat, pray, love. But my friend, she's pretty conservative. Tommy's got big ratings. She's like, oh, you know, I'm gonna go on. It might be good for the book. She's got young people watching her because we attract who we are. If you're a young woman, you look a certain way. You're going to attract other young women who look a certain way. So my friend goes on the show. Great interview at first. Then Tommy asked her, did you learn the language when you were there? My friend says, yes. And at that point, bam, you could see the switch flip. Tommy immediately went into a rant about immigration, how people come into the United States, how they need to learn English. If you want to live in the United States, you need to get in there, learn English, turn it into something completely different. More outrage, more talking to the base, nothing to do with my friend's book. And my friend is sitting there uh, uh, completely powerless to do anything because Tommy is on the air all the time. Tommy has media training. Ben Shapiro, same thing. You got these people innocently walking up to him, arguably really big fans. Oh, God bless you. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing. I'm glad you're here. Coming to an event, thinking they're meeting other podcasters. They didn't plan to be put in a propaganda video, but here we are. And podcast movement, also in that propaganda video, which has been shared and shared and shared and retweeted. And there's remixes and mashups on YouTube about it. Now these people who walked up to him, they're in this big mess. Podcast movement in this big mess. That tweet that podcast movement initially made, they tagged a couple people. One, one of the original people who complained and the other, somebody who made a comment. Now they're in that mess. Absolutely nobody's happy. And some of the people are getting a lot of harassment over this. I mentioned that guy who showed up with a camera, kind of the Andy Kaufman thing, put a camera in your face. You're going to apologize to me for Ben Shapiro being here? I need an apology. Those people didn't deserve that. They had no idea who Ben Shapiro was. Yet they're in that mess in this video that is going everywhere. To wrap this up, I've said this, but it's worth repeating again. Nobody won except Ben Shapiro, $10,000, $20,000, however much he spent at Podcast Movement, it was likely worth 100 times that for him. The best advice I have for somebody who gets the opportunity to work with this type of outrage and victim organization is to walk away. They will turn on you in a second. Mentioned the Tommy situation, in a second. Camera's rolling, you're there in her chair, she's gonna make it about her. She does not care about you. So Ben Shapiro is. He doesn't care about podcast movement. If he could destroy podcast movement, come out a dollar ahead, he would do it. He could get 100,000 clicks for his stuff and destroy podcast movement. He would do it. And he might have done that. This event may be over. It's certainly over as we know it. I know of two podcasting events right now on the conservative side that are already being planned. They're trying to take advantage of this outrage. They are ready to go. They are ready to siphon off some of the momentum that podcast movement has spent the last nine years building. And maybe there'll be a more liberal convention. I don't know. But it has definitely changed the way we are moving forward when it comes to podcasting events. That is what you risk when you jump into bed with these guys. If they can get any attention, even if it's just a few people, even if it's just a little money, just a buck or two, 
They will throw you under the bus. It does not matter if they're wearing suits or look nice or speak well. They give zero f**ks about you. All they care about is attention and money. Don't take the money in the first place. This is the way to win. Podcast movement knew. They rejected Shapiro five times. And if you want to see the receipts, go see that Will Williams article. We'll post it at all. Screenshots, emails. <laughs> Will's doing some of this too. <laughs> but with good reason. Because Will's getting a lot of harassment over this. Whoa, whoa, no, let me clear the air. This is how it actually went down. I'm not going to buy into your narrative. This revisionism that you've got about how things are. We didn't know. We didn't know who he was. We didn't know he was going to be there. Yeah, well. Sometimes we get caught up in that. And I can understand that. I feel for podcast movement. Ben Shapiro is slick. But you got to know that going in. When you take money, you are beholden to them. Alignment matters. If you say you're pro-women, people are going to expect pro-women content and pro-women sponsors. That's not Ben Shapiro. You might agree with his thoughts on abortion. No, 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 that's pro-women. Mm. Ask a woman. What I know Abortion or not, because this is a whole lot more complicated than abortion, but he's actively doing some things that are keeping women from getting the health care that they need. That's not pro-women. If Ben Shapiro were at National Religious Broadcasters, nobody would have thought a thing. Because National Religious Broadcasters, I've been there. They had Ben Carson speaking. They've got other prominent Republicans, Republican celebrities, Scott Baio, Kirk Cameron, all those guys, you say, hmm, is that guy dead? No, no, no. They're Republicans now. <laughs> They're playing a niche market. They're at national religious broadcasters. If Ben Shapiro were with them, nobody would have thought a thing. But he wasn't there. He was at Podcast Movement, an event that's marketed as pro-women, pro-LGBT, pro-person of color. And he's doing just the opposite of what all the marketing and all the panels that they did book and have booked and have plenty of, are doing. So I can see why people are pissed. Tie all it together. I think the biggest issue for PM had to do with playing both sides and trying to appeal to everybody. And this is a marketing thing. There is no both sides in marketing. You can't do that without being ignored or getting pushback. And that's exactly what's happening. You might think, oh, I'm not as big as podcast movement. Nobody's watching me. Well, yeah, they are. Your listeners are watching you and they don't like hypocrites. You will lose them if it appears you are a hypocrite. And how do you think podcast movement got as big as podcast movement is? They play to that audience. Pro-LGBT, pro-women. They got their diversity and inclusion person there that they didn't listen to, according to Will Williams. Again, that piece, that's in the episode notes. Podcast.bigpodcast.com. Know who your audience is and take care of them. They will take care of you. Don't let somebody come in and mess it up. Apparently it just took 15 minutes. And then, because of replication, this video Ben Shapiro put out, boom, blows up. All that work destroyed. That's the result. So consider it. Association matters. If you want more from me, this is how to subscribe. Bigpodcast.com slash subscribe. Normally, probably not this agitated. <laughs> talk about growing a podcast, 
making money with your podcast, building an audience. I tried to keep that the focus of this episode. If you want to reach out to me, that's how to do it, bigpodcast.com. Android, iPhone, RSS feed, however you get your podcast. I got you hooked up there, bigpodcast.com slash subscribe. If you got comments, feel free to reach out. I'm open to discussion about this. In general, though, I've said what I'm going to say about it. I'm moving forward. Podcasting, we need to move forward. Podcast movement, that may or may not be the right event for you. Now you know a little bit more about them. If you care about this stuff, look at where people are taking money from, look at where they stand on these issues, and be very clear before you spend your own money. Anyway, that's enough. I'll see you on the next episode of Build a Big Podcast.